The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Good morning. Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you're the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, we're going to be spending some time in Mark chapter 8. So if you have a Bible that's next to you or, you know, sitting up on your shelf, go ahead and grab that. Or if it's on your phone, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, that same story that Chrissy read. But we're also going to be spending some time in Isaiah chapter 53. So if you want to just kind of bookmark that or kind of keep your finger on that, uh, we're going to get into that during this time. But I was, as I was reading through these texts, I was thinking about um, just how um, Jesus didn't have a Facebook account. Uh, Jesus didn't have uh, a Twitter either. Um, he didn't have any social media during this. And, and in fact, he actually still doesn't have any social media. Uh, but during this story, he was starting to hear that there was some buzz going on about him, right? He heard that there were people talking about him. And so he goes to the disciples and he asks them, he's like, hey, who do, who do people say that I am? And after hearing all this buzz and all these different things, the disciples are, are starting to kind of process and kind of organize what they are hearing about Jesus. And he's like, well, maybe they think you're um, Elijah. Maybe they think that you are John the Baptist. And, or maybe they think that you're one of the prophets. You know, and, and thinking about those responses, those kind of could make sense, right? If people were kind of gathering together and coming up with these kind of like fan theories about Jesus, maybe they're searching through their Hebrew Bible and they're searching and just kind of remembering some of the stories. They remember that Elijah was just taken up into the sky and just kind of disappeared, like he never really actually died. And so maybe they're like, oh, maybe like Elijah has come and visited us again as one of the prophets, right? Or maybe uh, they had this kind of crazy conspiracy theory or fan theory about uh, John the Baptist, because unfortunately, a couple chapters beforehand, um, he got his head cut off, which is kind of unfortunate, and uh, it's a really bad way to die. Anyways, um, but maybe they had this theory that, like, maybe John the Baptist came back to life, and, like, that's Jesus. And so they were talking about that, or maybe they were talking about, like, maybe he's just one of the prophets, because he, he speaks like a prophet, and he, he kind of acts like a prophet, and, and he hears things from God and shares it with the rest of the crowds. Like, maybe, you know, it's been 400 years since we've seen a prophet in Israel. Maybe God has visited us again through another prophet. And with all of these kind of things just swirling around and the disciples kind of hearing things from the rest of the crowds, Jesus asks them, well, who do you say that I am? And for a moment, 
You know, maybe they think, maybe they're processing, maybe they're thinking about all the different Google searches and fan theories and conspiracy theories and put it all together. And Peter has the realization and he's like, you are, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, now, before we get any further into that, let, let's pause here because our, uh, our series is called Eyewitness. And what's cool is that each and every week we're going to go through a different book, uh, each of the Gospels, as we lead up to Easter and talk about these eyewitness accounts. And, and John Mark is the person who wrote this book, Mark, which is the shortest Gospel. And uh, what he does is that he grabs these different accounts from different disciples, namely, specifically, Peter. He actually gets an eyewitness account of Peter's experience, and he's sharing his story as to what is going on, what he experienced with Jesus. And I think that's really cool because Peter himself, he was known as, as the rock, right? Uh, he, was, he was the rock before Dwayne Johnson. Um, that's what his name literally means. Um, but he was one of Jesus' closest followers, and so we get into an eyewitness account of one of Jesus' like, best friends to see what was happening in his experience in that, right? And what's so cool about this chapter specifically, this story, is that this, this story, along with the transfiguration afterwards, is directly in the middle of this entire book. And I think there's a lot of weight that happens in that. It's kind of like if you, if you guys ever like, read stories or big into to reading stories, there's like this moment where where things are starting out with kind of like the exposition and then things start kind of climbing and then it gets to like this climax moment where something big happens and it usually happens in the middle of the book and then you kind of see what happens from there because of the climax, right? Uh, This is like the climax moment that happens in the book of Mark. And it was important for people during this time, especially in Hebrew writing, that the middle had some sort of significance. It's kind of like, let me draw a picture for you here. It's like if I were to have a blank piece of paper and I were to show you, I were to put something on there, and I was kind of just going to show you like a target. If I were to show you what's the first thing that you would notice, you would notice the middle, right? That's the kind of first thing that you would kind of notice and take hint of. It's kind of like the same way that uh, Hebrew writing was, that you would focus in on the middle, that there was some sort of significance. It was kind of like if you were looking at a target and trying to figure out, okay, where's the middle? I need to hit the bullseye, right? There was significance in what was happening in the middle, and Jesus, uh, hearing these words from Peter saying that you are the Messiah, that's a big deal. But, but Peter got it, right? But he also didn't really get it. It's kind of like uh, if you guys remember taking a test, or maybe you're still in school, and uh, you have to do multiple choice, right? You have four answers, and you have like a 25% chance of getting it right. And so maybe Peter's like kind of thinking through these multiple uh, choice uh, answers, like the first one is Elijah, maybe the second one's John the Baptist, third one's one of the prophets, and the fourth is like the Messiah. And he's like thinking through, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, like, it's the Messiah. It's letter D. That's the correct answer. But if you were to ask him in, like, a short answer, like, he would totally get it wrong, right? He's like, I just know because of basic information, but, like, I can't really explain it as a whole. And, and so I think that, that Peter had a very distinct way of thinking about who the Messiah actually was, right? The Messiah just literally means anointed or chosen one, right? And, and Peter, in this moment, as he's sharing that that, he is the, that Jesus is the Messiah is kind of representative of all Israel of what their hope and expectation was for a Messiah. Right? Last week, a Pastor Josh talked about how um, they thought that this was going to be an earthly king that was going to rule. Right? And so they had this expectation of who, who this Messiah, who this king was going to be. 
right? They thought that Jesus was going to be this great, mighty, earthly king that was, that was chosen by God in order to um, destroy Rome, to claim back the promised land, to just continue to make Israel thrive and to be an everlasting kingdom, right? It, he thought that that was going to be like a King David situation, right? Because King David was chosen by God to be king. And so maybe they had this thought process of like, okay, we're going to rule, we're going to rebel against Rome, and we're going to take over, and things are going to be great, and it's going to be a great and mighty thing. And, and, and Jesus starts explaining something very different in his experience. He says, no, the, the chief priests, the scribes, they're going to reject me, and I'm going to be killed. And Peter has this completely shattered view of what the Messiah is. And he's like, no, like that, that can't be Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, deceiver. For you are thinking about God's concerns, not of humans' concerns. And this is where things kind of get interesting and where Jesus kind of flips the script because he describes something like, he doesn't quote it directly from Isaiah 53, but he describes it as something like Isaiah 53. If you guys want to open up to it, you can read along. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he, Jesus, bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities." Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. This stuff was written 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, right? Jesus is this, this suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied, that God had foretold before the arrival of Jesus on earth. And what I think is so interesting is that when Jesus describes this to the to his disciples, he doesn't say that Rome is going to end up being the one that rejects him, right? It's actually the scribes and the priests and, and the chief leaders of Israel. The, the people within his own kind of family are the ones that end up rejecting him and ends up killing him. Israel's own people reject him, right? Jesus was going around doing all these amazing things, things that people wouldn't expect a king to do, right? He, he hung out with, with lepers. He hung out with sinners. He, he called tax collectors to come and follow him. All of these broken people, because the people of Israel during that time were being rebellious, right? They were, they were not honoring God. They were following after false gods and false idols. They had a false expectation of who God was and who a Messiah was going to be. And Jesus is trying to warn them and saying, look, guys, this is completely different than what you guys ever expected. I'm going to have to die for, for the sake of the world, for the sake of Israel as a whole. And then Jesus continues to go on, and he says this. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
He doesn't say, if anyone wants to follow me, you know, put money into the temple, right? He doesn't say, if anyone wants to follow me, then start putting stuff on social media, right? But he says to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Which, which kind of brings me to thinking about Grant's message this morning for the kids. If anyone wants to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And, you know, in a few short weeks, I was thinking about this, we're going to be following Jesus to the cross on Good Friday, right? And when Jesus says to follow me, he doesn't say to follow him in sort of like an ethereal kind of theoretical way. He is literally telling the crowds, he's like, come and see what is going to happen to me. The cross is not only just like a death sentence for people, but it was a response to the rebellion, to the rule-breaking, to the criminal activity that was taking place, right? The, the punishment of the cross was this result of broken activity that was happening in the world. And, and what Jesus is saying to us, and he's challenging us with, is to be an eyewitness to this very result of this rebellion with, with our treachery, with our insurrection to the God of the universe as we look to Jesus on the cross. And, and I think this is, this is so important for us because I was, you know, I'm going to redo this um, I'm going to redo this uh, craft because I think there's such an important value for us to be able to think at. And something that I discovered as we were doing the craft. But, you know, when Grant was telling us to look at the, the corners to kind of mark our, our brokenness, the things that we've done against God, maybe it's the things that we've said or um, maybe it's the thoughts that we've had or um, just whatever it might be. And so he tells us to do this. And I love that we get a chance to be able to look at a kid's craft and be able to apply it to our lives as well. But Jesus was willing to take on our, our cross, our punishment. Fold it just like this. Rip it in half. And I love that there's no more, no more sin on that. But what I was thinking about was, you know, now that I've ripped this and we have the cross, I still have, I still have all these scraps just left over. All these broken pieces that kind of represent our sin and our brokenness that are marked with our, our shame, our rebellion, our insurrection. And what's amazing is that when we lay these things at the foot of the cross, we actually can find life. That as we lay down our, our sin, as we lay down our brokenness, our rebellion at the foot of the cross of Jesus, we find that in exchange for his death, he gives us true life. That out of those, those scraps, those messes, those broken pieces, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and weak, and, and I will give you rest. He's like, take upon my yoke, because my yoke is light. And, and that's what he did for the disciples. He said, come follow me, deny yourself. Shed all of that off and, and come follow after me. Follow me to the cross. Follow me to Calvary. 
and lay down your burdens here because I'm going to pay the ultimate price for you and for all of humankind. And, and oftentimes what we tend to do is we try to hold on to those scrap pieces. We tend to think that those, those things that kind of give us pleasure will give us eternal life, but those things are fleeting. But, but the broken pieces, those ripped apart pieces, those marked pieces, when we lay them at the foot of Jesus, he says, give them to me and I will give you life. In this moment, we're going to take some time to go into confession and absolution, and then we're going to go into another song. But as we just think about this, we're just going to take a moment to just pause and just think about those, what are those broken pieces that that we're holding on to? What are those ripped pieces that we need to bring to the cross? As As we reflect during this Lenten season, what are some things that we need to leave at the foot of the cross as we are about to celebrate Good Friday in the next couple weeks? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, as we sing songs and talk and hear children's messages and read your word, God, we, we thank you for the joy that you continue to give to us. But God, we also take a moment to, to reflect on our broken pieces, Father. Father, we thank you that we can lay down our broken pieces at the foot of your cross. But Lord, sometimes we, we like to grasp onto those things. And so, Father, we take time in this moment just for a moment of silence to just think about that and just lay it down at the foot of Jesus. You know, as I think about this, I think of a quote from Tim Keller, and it says this. It says, uh, each time we obey God, it is like a death. We die to our own will, and and that hurts. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, such little deaths leaves us to become more Christ-like, a resurrection. Jesus didn't say dead at the cross. We, We realize as we celebrate Easter, of an empty tomb, right? That Jesus Christ has risen. That death didn't hold him down forever, Lord. And and so we recognize that we are forgiven in the cross and in the empty tomb of Jesus. That that your broken pieces, they are are no more. The Psalms say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. you. You are forgiven, you are loved, you are cared for, and you have grace In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.